What's up, bikers? Welcome to the Biker Bar Podcast live stream. Here we are, episode 136. And I'm still stoked every time I start one of these shows. I, I feel like every time I want to start out like, wow, I can't believe I've been doing it that long. Anyways, we got Jeff Lenoski on and a couple of his buddies. We're going to talk about something new they're doing called Trail Boss Academy. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get over the, the uh, normal stuff that I'm always bugging you guys about. Number one, swing by my Instagram. Give me a follow. Or you could do it on Facebook. Either one. It's totally cool. You could do thumbs up right here if you're already enjoying this or a subscribe if you're listening to a podcast. Do me a favor, swing by Apple Podcasts, write a review. It helps the uh, algorithm or something like that. Anyways, I really appreciate all you people out there on Patreon. Got a couple of new people this month. I, I'm stoked. I'm super stoked. So thank you very much. That really helps the channel keep going. You helps, It helps out with all kinds of stuff. Like just the other day, lost a bag full of GoPro batteries. Really, really blows because I just bought them. And um, it's it's the guys on Patreon out there that are that are helping keep this channel going. You can do it for as little as a buck a month. Five bucks, you can really help out. There's another tier that you, I'll send you all kinds of like super, super swag, merch pack, whatever you want to call it. And you'll, you'll actually be like paying my house payment or something like that. But <laughs> it's totally up to you what you want to do. If you don't want to do any of that, just listen for free. It's fine with me, man. I'm, I'm stoked that anybody's here in the first place. So I'm going to go ahead and stop messing around with all the, all that chatter. And we'll go ahead and bring these guys on. How's it going, Jeff? Good. How are you? Not bad, man. I am um, definitely. I'm. I'm. I'm doing good, dude. Honestly, I had like last week was one of those crazy hectic weeks where you just don't feel like you can, like you're gonna get your head above water. And this week is like, ah, oh, finally, here I am. Nice. Well, it's good to be back on the show. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. Yeah, so you have two friends with you. Go ahead and introduce them, and um, that way uh, people that are listening can get acquainted to who's who. Yep. Contrary to popular belief, I do have two friends. <laughs> um, so this is my good buddy, Lance Trappy. He's been a friend of mine for 25 years, probably. Yeah. Started mountain, mountain biking together, riding trials together, and he's been in a bunch of my videos for the past five years or whatever. And then Max and I have been buddies for a couple months now. Yeah. Been friends with Lance for about a week. It's been working out so far so good. But uh, Max is from San Diego, California. And I met him when I did an Instagram challenge about two or three months ago, the 60 second manual challenge. And he was the first person to reply to it. We've been buddies ever since. Email. Oh, right on, man. Yeah. What was the challenge? Just you had to do it for 60 seconds? It was a 60 second manual challenge. Um, I just made it up. Uh, I was trolling Rich Drew. He, he made an Instagram video and I, I threw it out there, like, see if you can do it for 60 seconds. And then I made a video and, and then threw out the challenge and Max within like hours <laughs> responded with this awesome manual. So it was pretty sweet. There you go. So, um, so what's been new, man, you got, you, you've been growing the channel. You're, you're getting, you're, you're, you're like YouTube famous at this point, probably more famous on YouTube than you were like beforehand. Right. It's kind of crazy that the average mountain biker sees YouTube so much more than all this stuff. Like Lance was in a lot of the mountain bike videos back in the day, as well as myself. You would never get stopped on a trail for that stuff. And then nowadays, right. everybody sees the YouTube videos or they, they recognize your voice a lot. Like I, I was just in Moab with Max and you ride up behind somebody and they recognize your voice, which is something really weird. That, that never happened 10 years ago. 
so that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, doing YouTube thing, doing lots of group rides, but the big thing is just trying to grow Trail Boss Academy, and that's why these two guys are here with me. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's funny you said the thing about the voice because a lot of people will ride by me and they're like, oh, look, there's another fat dude on the trail. And then they hear me laugh and then they're like, oh, wait, I know that guy. <laughs> so um, so, so what's Trail Boss Academy? What, what is, what's this about? Yeah, so, you know, Trail Boss, I started the channel five years ago or so. Um, and it's always been about that real technical techie riding and stuff like that. And having a big background in mountain bike trials, doing a lot of trials demos, you know, you started wanting to interact with the public more. I've always done that with my group rides and stuff like that, but um, you can only spend so much time on a group ride with 20 people. So we want to try to get a little bit more intimate with people, more hands-on, try to engage with people and help them learn. Cause you know, especially for Lance and I, Max is a young buck, but we've been riding for 25 years professionally. Like for us to get that thrill of learning a new trick is kind of difficult, you know? But when you could share that stoke with somebody kind of gives you the same feeling almost. So yeah. Lance did a lot of mountain bike trials demos. I've done a lot about mountain bike trials demos. We're so used to getting out and engaging with the public. So Lance was a no brainer. And then when I met Max a couple months ago and saw he likes to ride just like we do, um, we he came out a week ago. We did a uh, clinic at Thunder Mountain and here we are. We're going to put our foot on the gas and try to grow this thing. Right on. So Max, are you planning on kind of leading a West Coast kind of version of, of the Academy? Is that is that what the, the deal is? Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, sort of be based out in San Diego and um, kind of work on the West Coast. Uh huh. What uh, what you have quite the California accent. Where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lay it on him. Yeah. Do you go, <laughs> answer this um, question in your California accent. Uh, I'm just originally from England, but I've been in the states about ten, no, eleven years now, I think. Um, right on. And I spent some time in Whistler as well, and up in BC. But, uh huh. What yeah. what led you into to Southern California? Uh, year-round sunshine and the beach and. Just, uh, I actually lived there as a, when I was a little kid, um, until about eight years old, and then moved back to England and kind of always wanted to get back and uh, had the opportunity to do it. And I've been there for about a year and a half now. Right on, man. What, what do you think? Um, what do you think? Like you being part of the Trail Boss Academy, like it, like what do you bring to the table for it? You know what I mean? Like, what do you, like what you think of like your, your passion of writing? Like, what is it that you, you feel like you can really express to people? Um, I've, so before this, I was going to some events and working um, with Canyon bikes. And so I'd go to the events and get people stoked on the bikes. So I really like being around people and kind of sharing mm -hmm. the enthusiasm and seeing kind of people get really stoked on biking. Um, and so the coaching side of things is really cool because you get to, you know, teach them skills and you see them like learn to love it even more and you see the drive and the passion that they have. And uh, it's really fun to, to be part of that. Right, right. How, so where what got you into riding? Uh, so when I was a kid, I used to ride my bike to school. And me and a handful of friends, about 45 minute ride, and we would just ride and practice wheelies and stuff on the way to school. And from there, I guess I got into BMX and then trials and then moved to to Whistler and for skiing actually, and then ended up staying for a summer and got a downhill bike and just been kind of really, uh, really stoked on mountain bikes ever since. Right on, man. So basically riding back and forth from school was going to lead you to your 60 second manual 
and here you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the How about one you, Matt? That's the one common thread between all of us. We all have that trials background. So uh-huh. we love mountain biking, but we're we're always the dudes on the side of the trail trying to r- ride over a rock or a log or a picnic table or, or whatever. <laughs> so it's not how far or fast. We just like riding over different stuff. Yeah, I got the perfect trail for you out here then. Have you ever ridden? Have, have you? I know you've been up to South Lake. Have you ever ridden Hole in the Ground? No. So it's not like the most fun mountain bike trail let's just say it that way like the first time you ride it you're like man that was awesome but the second time you ride it you're like i don't remember climbing that much but one of the things that's really cool about that ride is the whole way through most of the trail there's all these like just granite rocks and stuff all over the place that at any point you can just turn right walk like 100 yards into a granite field and like just start playing around like oh rock roll this or come over this spine and go do this and i think that uh you guys would really enjoy that so yeah, think about awesome. it next time you're up yeah. there <laughs> sounds <laughs> kind of perfect let's yeah. do it right. <laughs> right the first time i ever rode with somebody that was a, a trials rider and i can't remember the guy's name unfortunately but he was one of the like one of the good guys you know a professional rider and uh I just remember seeing him like stopping and playing on things where I was like, this is just blowing my mind. I would not even think to look over there as that is like, I'm like, Oh, that's a rock. And they're like, Oh, that's a feature, you know? (laughs) So it was definitely interesting to watch. And then, you know, not too long after that, I think is one of the first times I met Jeff and seeing him just like go up this staircase in Sedona and the way that, that a trials rider kind of attacks a feature is so different than the way that almost everybody else mountain bikes. And I think what you guys are doing then is by like taking that experience, it really gives people a different way to like a different perspective on how to ride. So it probably sets you up pretty well for training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get a lot of people of different skill levels and, you know, from the basics to um, just really uh, curious about, the kind of stuff that we do and they're always like they want to learn the process and we've been practicing for years and years so it helps that we have that experience to to take people through from a more technical side as opposed to like a high speed momentum side which is what most people just want to like roll through stuff but we can add a little more nuance and technical uh ability to the the learning process pretty much yeah yeah, totally. So what got you into riding, Lance? You were just like, I made friends with Jeff, so I guess I got to do this. <laughs> uh, no, it's the same. I, I I was jumping curbs and riding to elementary school and, you know, crashing on my way to third grade and whatever. And, you know, just having fun on a BMX bike and then did a, l- a little bit of racing and then saw somebody hopping up some stairs at, at an event. And I was like, man, I got to try that. And I couldn't do it at all, like couldn't balance for one second. And that just became a, a, a preoccupation, just trying to figure out how to, you know, kind of track stand, hop around a little bit. And then we, you know, that's kind of like it relates to the learning process because you think back to those early years and like what we were first thinking, like what we thought was cool. and. That's what we're seeing in the in the classes too. Like people are like, "Wow, how did you ride up that or pedal up that?" And so that's 
that that's what where it started and and we're still in the same frame of mind we, we, we screw around all the time we just find rocks and things that jump up and you know it's it's a never-ending learning process really yeah totally. one thing that's interesting like when lance and i first started um I probably rode for three or four years before I met Lance, but I like literally met him when he was 17, like really long time ago. And we learned early on, like I used to ride by myself and it was so hard to learn stuff. And then once you start riding with somebody, like you create these mental barriers and whether it was him, you know, we'd be both struggling to do the same move. And then if he did it, I would always do it like right away next or, or vice versa. Like you just have to see somebody do it. So I feel like that translates to coaching, like being able to not only demonstrate for the riders in person, because people will watch YouTube videos all day long. And obviously I have a YouTube channel and make lots of how to's and stuff like that, but there's nothing that could compare to like going out with a coach that is capable of demonstrating if they need to. But then the other thing is being able to give the riders feedback because it's one mm -hmm. thing watching a YouTube video and you think that you're doing something, but we'll pull out the iPad, we'll sketch on it where you could watch but just having that feedback makes such a huge difference. So when you go out with people and they can see you and you help them, like their skills progress so fast. So I feel like it is kind of like 30 years ago and Lance and I used to go out and ride with one another and have those breakthrough moments. Now we just have it with, with other riders. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helps being with somebody else. I and mean, even just in your friend group, when they go out and to session something to see them do it in person, is way different than watching a video. I 100% agree with you. I think that um, you guys were talking about how you started, and I know Jeff, you're you're pretty close to my age. I'm I'm 45, and uh, in that the time that I was young and learning how to ride bikes, BMX was really big. Like everybody, like movies like Rad came out, and everybody's like, "Man, I need to like do these tricks," and um, that kind of riding was definitely like had the attention of, of like young kids that wanted, that wanted to ride bikes. So it, it's, it's interesting to see that kind of all come full circle to today where tricks and things of that nature that you really just thought were, you were doing for fun, like to like show off or like make girls be like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like, like now is actually things that are, are legitimately like, worth something while you're riding mountain bike you know it's not just like doing a manual looks cool but there's there's a lot of great purpose to that you know yeah and you learn all that stuff when you're a kid and you have the time to mess around but then with mountain biking it's usually more of a you know kind of a grown-up sport so a lot of people go for rides with their friends they don't want to stop in session they'll try a log hop once a ride once a ride once a week could take them 20 weeks to do it. If you just went out and sessioned, you could probably session it 20 times and just learn it. Yeah. And then the other thing is there's a lot of adults now. I see it all the time. It's so weird. Like five years ago, 10 years ago, if there was a kid mountain biking, it was because their dad dragged them into it. And yeah. nowadays we meet tons of like dads our age that they got into it because their kid got into it because it's so accessible on YouTube now. Like mountain biking is is a youth sport as well now. It used to be like a grown, grown man man and woman sport now kids are yeah. getting it, so we have these dads come to our clinics that you know start have been riding two years and they they're just trying to keep up with their they kids with <laughs> yeah no it's definitely interesting i mean i've had some some parents that came up and introduced me to their child because their child was a fan of the podcast or the, my channel and 
and neither of the parents rode they're like oh yeah we brought him here because he like wanted to be at this event and it's like that's kind of crazy to think about because exactly like you said i mean when i grew up i got into mountain biking because it was an adult that was taking me yeah. you know and it, it's definitely i mean you see it now there's you know high school teams and middle school teams and it's really rad there there was none of that you know back in the day um what do you guys think the the like how do you start your class out like like we're we're what do you what do you do there? You're just like, all right, everybody, this is a pedal. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is setting the criteria for what the class is going to be. You know, mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of private coaching, so that's a, a little bit different. Like Max went out this weekend and coached a nine year old one day who was a total shredder. Absolutely ripping Mountain mm -hmm. Creek, just hitting every jump on the mountain. It was so sick. Yeah. And then the other day was a you know mid forty year old guy with went the private lesson to easy because you know you could work on certain objectives but with the classes you just have to be real careful of like setting the curriculum so that everybody knows what they're in store for you know whether it's an intermediate day or intermediate advanced day and with the intermediate stuff we start with like the fundamentals just getting your body position down breaking drills cornering drills because everything kind of flows from there so. If you're not in the right position to begin with, then everything is going to be more difficult. So we just work on those fundamentals. And sometimes we do get some riders that feel like it's, you know, not worth practicing or whatever. It might be a little basic, but then we try to convey to them, you know, Seth Curry doesn't go out and play basketball. He sits there and shoots a thousand free throws and NFL quarterbacks do drills, you know, but with mountain biking, we don't do drills. We just go out and ride. And it's really hard to improve if you're just riding. You know, you have to go out and practice stuff. What is it, 10,000 hours? 10,000 hours, yeah. <laughs> but 10,000 hours of good practice. We had an interesting guy in our clinic the other day. He was a big motocross guy. And he said uh, he took a class once and, and, this, and uh, he heard a student say, I've been, I've been motorcycling for 25 years. And the, and the coach was like, no, you have 25 years of, or one year of experience 25 times because they just because it's <laughs> bad practice, even, yeah you just do the same thing over and over and you don't do it with a dead horse yeah <laughs> and it's not 25 years it's one year 25 times yeah that's uh that, that's pretty funny that's totally me i um have been consistently trying to manual for let's just say a long time and really how i do that is i'm coming to a creek I pull my handlebars up. I'm like, oh, and it went down. And then I'm like, okay, I'll try that again next time. <laughs> so one of these days I need to go out and actually practice. So, so you have uh, events and then you have the private um, lessons. So let's talk about the events. Like what, how does that, that go? Because I think what I saw online, like it was a couple day thing that you had going on or. Yeah. So basically we'll go to, you know, like Lance was saying earlier, what we really love doing is technical trail riding stuff. Mm -hmm. And we will get that to that in 2023 quite a bit, but the bike parks are so easy because it has everything that you need right there. You know, if you're teaching somebody to do drops or jumps, like everything's right there. Whereas, you know, sometimes on the trail, it's harder to find controlled environments to do stuff. Um, but at the, at the events, it's usually a two day thing. You have the opportunity to do like an intermediate one day, intermediate advance the next day, you know, so you could, you could choose just one or the best experience is to do both. Um, mm -hmm. We just did that, that clinic at Thunder Mountain. When you spend a couple of days with somebody, it's like you end up being friends with them by the time they leave. And you really get to like learn 
more about their riding ability and stuff like that. That's like the best experience. Like I feel mm -hmm. like after Thunder Mountain, we're all like, hey, call us next time you see us. Actually, yeah, definitely Lance, and, Lance and Max just rode with some of the people that were with us last week at Thunder. And I've ridden uh, last when I was at Thunder. I saw some guys I had coached a few weeks prior to that. And you just feel like all these people are your buddies after that when you get to spend that much time with them. So are you planning to travel the, the events around a little bit or are they going to be primarily East Coast and a little bit West Coast or what, what's the what's the, the long term goal there? Lance likes to winter in Florida, so that'll be a no brainer. Max is from San Diego, so uh -huh. we'll have the West Coast cover. I, I have the Northeast. So, you know, going into the winter, we'll probably lean more on these guys and go to Florida, California, mm -hmm. Southeast or Southwest. And then when the spring rolls around, get back to the Northeast. So yeah, our, our intention is to do at least one big event a month, mm -hmm. but spread out all over the country. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really rad. So like the assumption would be like, if you're going to Sedona, that maybe you would put something on at the same time. Or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're still a small operation. So the more you could combine events together. Yeah. Last year I was at Sea Otter for two weeks. So I did one there. Um, uh -huh. I did some private stuff in Sedona. So obviously, yeah, if you're going someplace, try to double dip as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Hey, Lance, whenever you first start a private lesson, what do you, how do you like size somebody up? Because everybody is like, like your bike skills and how you express them are, it's really subjective. So it's like, you could be like, yeah, no, I'm pretty, I'm upper intermediate. And then, then you're like, well, maybe you're not. And then somebody else could be like, yeah, I'm like middle of the road and they're really like closer to expert because the guys they ride with make them don't, you know, make them feel that way. So what, what do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's true. Um, people don't always have a good frame of reference or an accurate frame of reference. So if you, you know, if you can just ride, ride with people a little bit and, um, you know, try some, try some obstacles and things, you know, just ride down a, a uh, maybe a basic trail and, and mm -hmm. see what their body position is and um, how they're handling, you know, the, the terrain and stuff. I feel like that's, that's the easiest thing to watch somebody ride and kind of gauge their, where they are as far as their skill level, you know, not necessarily what they think it is, but mm -hmm. most people are, are better than they think. And it's not always the case. Yeah. 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 With the private yeah, lessons, it's not a problem. It's yeah. it's the group yeah. lessons that sometimes it can be a challenge. That's why I try to keep the group super small. Like at Thunder, mm -hmm. everybody signs up for the same category, but there is a pretty big difference in ability levels. But if you have three coaches, you just split up into smaller groups. And then you, you mm -hmm. could have, you know, it was an intermediate day. You you can section people out and we can work a little bit more intimately. On a one-on-one, it doesn't. And mix up the coaching too. That yeah. way the groups get to go to everyone, which is cool, so. Kind of get to work with different people and they get to work with different coaches. We want everybody to hear that accent. So we can't, you know, we need to say yeah, California. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's Southern California accent. So Max, whenever you're approaching, you know, trying to to like help somebody out when you're first meeting them, you kind of have to like find a way to connect with them and understand like, you know, how they, how they learn. How do you go about doing that? Um, so I guess when, like Lance was saying, like going down and following the first time, following behind me, kind of get an idea of where they're going. I'm also just talking to them. I like to ask them like what type of riding they like to do, you know, what's your favorite kind of trail. And if, if they're somewhat local and they can tell you local trails that you're familiar with, I think you can get 
kind of an idea about whether this person mm -hmm. really likes tech trails, but maybe they don't like jumping and they, they don't feel comfortable coming off the ground or vice versa. You know, some people just want to jump all day, but give them a really steep tech line and they're just, they're not really feeling comfortable on it. So I think just talking to them about it and getting a feel for what they enjoy and where they like to ride is a good way, but definitely following them kind of, um, you can learn a lot, I think, from just seeing someone riding in front of you and see how they approach different obstacles and how, how comfortable they look on that obstacle too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the different things of fun. Cause like I have a buddy that really likes to jump a lot and he's always trying to talk me into it. And I'm like, I don't really care, dude. But like, I want to go down some like stupid, chunky, gnarly stuff. And he's like, why are you doing that? You know, <laughs> like, so yeah, it's uh, funny how different the people like that. And you get meet some people who are really fast riders who just handle the tech stuff so well, but give them a small gap jump and it freaks them out with the gap in the middle. You know, tabletops definitely are more rider friendly, but a gap jump, a lot of people, even though they're, you know, they can handle that skill wise, it just freaks them out mentally. So yeah that's me 100 percent. like it doesn't even make any sense like at all but uh yeah that's that's the way it goes right and so how do you how do you work on overcoming those fears like say somebody is a person that's afraid of the gap but they're like how do i how do i accomplish this what, what would you do so for me i think i think from a jump standpoint definitely start on tables and kind of build that confidence up and i think it's important to when they are comfortable and you feel comfortable for them doing something to like let them know, you know, that you've got this, you can definitely do it, build their confidence up. Cause a lot of it is they have the skill, but they just don't have the confidence or they don't trust themselves enough. Um, I like to demonstrate, hit the obstacle first so they can see it and then go look at it, talk about different elements of the jump. Um, good example. I mean, I rode, uh, yesterday mountain Creek and there's this pretty big gap jump with a sort of fairly a sort of, um, built up landing and you come in full speed, no brakes around a decent burn and there's a little drop. And so I was coaching um, this nine-year-old Logan who just absolutely rips, but he <laughs> hadn't hit this feature yet. And he was kind of, wasn't really sure about it. So he checks out the start of the day. And by the end of it, you know, he wanted to check it off and tick off the list. So we went back and looked at it and I kind of rolled in a few times with him. He pulled off the side of the jump and I hit it so he could check it out. We looked at the lip and kind of showed him because we've been hitting some pretty steep lips and this one wasn't as steep. So we're talking about how, you know, this isn't going to send you as high, but it is going to send you pretty far and just talk about the different technical aspects. And so took him back up and he came down and hit it and then felt pretty good, hit it again and cleaned it perfect. So I think it's right. sort of um, making sure that they know they can do it and they're capable and, and then just going through all the details to give them that confidence they need to actually hit it as well. And also feel it out if someone's not confident, you know, to the point that you don't think they should be doing it, then you're not going to try to push someone in something they, they shouldn't be riding. It's about kind of knowing the rider's ability as well. Right. No, it's like you said too, like we can watch somebody ride, but then if, if we can do it and they watch us, that's a good learning tool as well. Uh, you know, people learn different ways. Definitely. And the re filming people and showing them in slow motion and pointing some, something out, we've been using iPads and things, and that works mm -hmm. really well too, because you can feel like you're doing something and then you look at a video and you realize, oh, we're not doing that at all. Or I didn't realize that I looked like that in the air, you know? So I think that's a good, a good tool as well. It seems yeah, like, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, it seems like for the intermediate riders, it's just dialing in those fundamentals, like making sure that it's second nature and they don't really have to necessarily think about it. And then with the advanced riders, like who um, Max was working with yesterday, Logan, 
it's more like the kid knows how to jump. It's more tactical stuff. So Max mm -hmm. being able to go down, letting them know what it feels like, giving them the intel, um, speed, things like that. You don't. You, we don't have to explain how to pop and jump. The kid knows. Just giving them mm -hmm. that extra info and letting them see it. Um, that higher level coaching, you know, which, which is something that we really like to do too. It's it's a lot of just tactical stuff. They got the technical stuff down. So it's just letting them know the conditions, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, definitely helps. You know, I had a friend tow me into some stuff that I had never hit before, and having them like being able to walk me through it that way, it was like, oh my god, I just hit a twenty-five foot table. I wouldn't have never thought I could do that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So definitely, um, definitely cool. But if you put a gap in the middle of it, I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty common. <laughs> I'm yeah. the opposite. Yeah. I, I see a tabletop and I'm like, I don't need to jump. <laughs> but when I see yeah. a gap, I'm like, I better, I better hit this jump. I don't want to go in the middle. <laughs> yeah. It's like motivation. So when, um, when new riders show up to either, you know, training or one of these, these, uh, bigger events that you have, what, what's the thing that most of them want to want to take away from it? That's is it like, that I want a bunny hop drops and jumps. Yeah, I think <laughs> Everybody wants to do drops and jumps. So, so, we're... so how would you characterize the difference between those two? Between a drop and a jump? Yeah. Um, I guess. Lack of a lip, you know, a lip and a jump has a, a lip, it's going to send airborne and a drop is typically just flat. And, it, and I always like to tell people they only get easier. Like you start, you start at the highest point. So if you're at, if you're at the top of a two foot drop, it's only going to get less. You'd probably go that high off of a jump, but it's just less intimidating when you start on the ground. But drops mm -hmm. and jumps by far are the two things that most people want to learn. And I guess manuals as well. Yeah. But I feel yeah, like... Do you think you should learn a drop first or a jump first? What came first, the drop or the jump? <laughs> I think a, a jump probably came first, but what we're trying to do with Trail Boss Academy, we try to teach drops first because there's uh -huh. a lot of elements and timing that will translate to the jump. So it's a little uh -huh. bit different than other people teach jumps. But the, uh, the main thing that we're trying to do is simplify these things as much as possible. Uh -huh. So... You know, we all collaborate on the curriculum, but before they came on board, I used to, I was the one coming up with trying to come up with this and I have a tendency to over explain stuff. So I've learned a lot no, over the past. Not at all. <laughs> no way. Don't say that. That's not true. Lance, I can't believe you said that. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. I over explain stuff. If you ask me, I call it a TED talk of bicycle technique. Yeah. <laughs> very, very intricate. Yeah. I would have told you how to do a drop, how to tie, but you have to tie your shoes a certain way and have 62 pounds of pressure in a tire, and, <laughs> you know, every, every single element. So with their help, I've been trying to whittle things down to as few uh, cues as possible, because mm -hmm. then that's what we're, that's where the, we're there for is to, to give some cues, get you going in the right direction. And then we can watch you and, help you work from there because some riders are, are going to do things naturally that are good. Some things are, will, they'll do things that might not be serving them great off the bat. So then if you have a coach there that could help you work through that process, you, it seems that more time, more often than not, you're better off with as few cues as possible, as simple as possible 
and then get them in the right direction and then work with them to tailor each rider, especially in the group settings. You know, if you have 10 different riders, they're all going to hear things differently. And some people, you know, you might say lean back to one rider and the other rider might think push the bike forward and it might accomplish the same thing, but they just hear it differently. So it's kind of one of the cool things about coaching is like not just learning how to do the trick, but how to explain it to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so let's go through some of what you would talk about with the drop, because I'm, it's curious to me. I, I, I'm thinking about what you're saying. And I think that when you hit a drop, um, depending on kind of what you're, you're doing, you kind of like preload the bike a little bit, right? So on some drops, absolutely. When we do like our intro to drop, the first mm -hmm. thing that we try to do is get you to go off of a drop with as little body movement as possible mm -hmm. and then teach you techniques to to make up for lack of momentum. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going into a drop really fast, it's easy, right? Because your right. bike's on and off the drop as fast as possible. So there's right. things we can do with our body to like create momentum or create speed for our bike to accomplish the same thing if we don't have it. So we teach... Um, really, really slow speed drops first, which is what a lot of coaches don't do. They'll teach you how to do a, a five, six foot drop medium speed. And then people get into a real world trail situation where it's two feet really slow with nuance. And then they're all tripped up. And then it gives them this false insecurity because they have a six foot one. So they're like, well, I could do six feet. Why can't I do two feet? I'm just going to send it. And then they end up on pink bike fail Fridays. Mm. <laughs> you got to talk them back. So we, we start with like really slow speed drops first, create that bookend. Mm -hmm. And then we walk them through a process to do it, to go quite a bit faster. And then once you have those two endpoints, then it's a lot easier for the riders to kind of extrapolate in the middle, how to go really slow, how to go really fast. And then it helps them wire into their brains, how to do it anywhere in between. Because mountain biking is just a series of, uh, it's like putting cards in a Rolodex. The more drops you do, the it's crazy how our brains fake, do those micro calculations so quickly. But you have to see a drop slow. You have to see one fast. You have to, mm -hmm. you know, you have to see all those situations, and then your body, your mind is just reaching in a Rolodex, pulling out the cards, and they're like, I yeah, see yeah. This before. Here I go. I know exactly what to do. Yeah. Mount so, what's the key to the speed diversity of drops? Yes. So what's the key to the slow speed drop? Key to a slow speed drop would be going in with a bunch of bend in your elbows and knees and mm -hmm. having the ability to slide the bike out from underneath you, like to push it off the drop if you don't have speed. Mm -hmm. So if you're going really slow, you got to have a lot of bend in your elbows and knees so you can scoot the bike out forward, get it off the drop as fast as possible. And then as you add speed, then you don't, you don't need to do that. You can be more centered on the bike because your bike's on and off the drop to begin with you know, so quickly to begin with. Right, right. We, we don't want to do like a big preload. We don't want to do a hop. That's one we see all the time. Super common. Yeah, everyone wants to hop up and off the drop rather than just making the most of the drop itself. And I think that's English. An English style? <laughs> I, I don't know. This no, was news I to me. I'm not, apparently that's what it's called. I've never heard of it. He's from California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's so, what's... an intuitive thing to do because when you go off of the drop, the second your front wheel goes off, it starts it starts dropping, right? So right. gravity is pushing on your back tire effectively. It makes rotation. So it, you know, it makes a lot of sense for a rider to go off and hop because they're making their bike light. 
Mm-hmm. So if they make their bike light, then it's not going to rotate. Mm-hmm. Problem is it works on certain drops fine, but it's not really a one size fits all solution. If you're going really fast, it doesn't work. If you're landing in a rock garden, it's not your best bet. If the landing is really close and it requires a certain amount of speed to do that hop, the math doesn't add up, you know? So we try to teach a really scalable drop technique first. Two years down the road, if you're like in Sedona doing the most technical drop ever, sure, you might have to hop for certain things. But by the time you get to that point, you're probably going to have the intuition to figure that out. We try mm-hmm. to teach intermediates how to just do a really good consistent drop technique so that that that's not the variable like the drop technique's the same no matter what the only variable is the terrain yeah so it's better to get them so what you're trying to do initially with teaching the drop is getting them comfortable being in the air and then having a proper like body position on the bike while they're doing that yeah the big thing is for teaching a drop before a jump is we when we teach the riders to to do the drop technique the way we teach it then they're they're performing a motion at the when they leave the edge of the drop right so mm-hmm. it teaches you to kind of be patient it teaches you that if you're in, in the right position you don't need to get in go up to a drop and get in the back seat that's super common for people to come to a drop and get back the second you get back your arms go straight and then you can't do anything so it's really important to be centered or even a little bit forward with some bend in your elbows when you get to that edge, because then all options are on the table and you could manage that, right? Depending on your speed and everything. If you're if you're back here, you can't do anything. So mm-hmm. if we get them comfortable doing that and then we go to a jump, which is basically almost like a curved uh, drop, then we can get them in the movement pattern to like perform something when they're leaving the lip. Because then again, just like drops, everybody hops too early they lunge forward off jumps they're not patient and they don't press their back wheel into the lip the entire way up and then you just keep going faster and faster off all these jumps because you're effectively making the jump way smaller than it needs to be because if you take videos of them they're not even contacting the jump the last quarter of it right so we want them to go slower and be patient and really go all the way up to the top of the lip so using the top of that lip is kind of like doing a drop so it just seems to be like a good good way of teaching people to do that. Interesting to think about it. Picture uh, a a long jump ski jump, right? There you go. Yeah. It's the exact thing, right? Yeah. They fire down and then just launch off the end. Yeah. That's what we're trying to say. I think for drops, riders need to learn to be patient. That's the number one thing, mistake, we see right? I, I think on both, particularly like on the jumps, you see people hopping way too early and yeah. on really mellow lips, you can get away with it, but throw it in a much steeper lip and it's not really something you can do and you're going to start getting bucked and all other kinds of things. So I think it's just a good thing to initially get get away from um, and it serves you in a variety of situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. It's definitely, um, I, I don't have any skill set at all at explaining how to ride a bike. Like, I'm just like, I've done it for so long. I don't know what the hell you're talking like. But when I hear somebody else explain it, I'm like, yeah, that is what I'm doing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like for riders like yourself, um, we've been using some iPads coaching. Mm -hmm. That helps so much. Mm Because if we went out and I was like, Robert, you're doing X, Y, and Z, tried ABC, 
you would be like, I am doing ABC. And if I could show you yeah. on video, then you're like, well, crap. Yeah, you're right. And then we can show you how to correct it and draw on there and, and everything. It really helps riders understand. Lance and I, yeah. Max is a new guy in the group. So we've only been riding with Max a little bit, but actually we did it in Sedona, like where I'll video him and then show him like, and you're like, oh, I see it. Lance and I do that all the time. Like we we watch each other ride so much that if he says like, oh, you need to lean back a little bit more or get over the front end more. Like we both, we know, have the same vernacular. We know exactly what we we're talking about and we coach each other all the time. Like right. doing the kind of stupid stuff that we do out on the trail all the time. It's just like, you think that you're doing something, but you're not, you need that extra set of eyes for sure. Yeah. I, I could totally see that. I mean, I know for me, it would definitely like seeing myself on video would, would definitely like, it would help a lot. You know what I mean? So you out there. We're going to get him out there. <laughs> yep. Sedona 2023. <laughs> <laughs> so um when, once you get into the 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 jumping what, what's the thing you said so mostly you just see people like trying to hop too early how would you give um that that's the biggest mistake that you see people making people staying really low as well and not not wanting to extend their body off the lip they just yeah. stay in a very kind of squatter crouch position and they kind of they'll go look to as if they want to come off the lip and then just before it they'll drop back down and it just kind of squashes everything and um, i think that's definitely something i noticed that's from the clinic common. the other day uh, but the, the timing is huge for sure people like not compressing the or not sort of preloading the the bike if you will they either do a really either the speeds off like the intensity of the preload or just the timing of when they do it i would say is it's mental too like yeah. jumping you have to really want to get into the air and mm -hmm. a lot of times as people are coming into it they're scared yeah lack of me too sure. you know like yeah. even what we were riding at mountain creek like that big step up or whatever it's like do i really want to fly into the air and that alters <laughs> what your body really does but that's why you kind of get into a controllable scenario and like help people feel what's going on and 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 see what they're doing and try to give them feedback so they can process that yeah because a lot of times they're just not they're just getting scared or acting yeah. too mm -hmm. too quickly or something like that yeah yeah i feel like i can like uh judge a jump or a drop very well in a natural environment but if you put me in a bike park like just the way that the lips look, they scare the shit out of me. So like, what, what do you do to like help people understand that? And like, cause just looking at one, like if you're at a bike park, say somebody's coming to your class, maybe they've never even ridden a bike park. You look at those, the, yeah. the way that they're, they're shaped and you're like, that's going to shoot me to the moon. Yep. You want to practice on mellow, the mellowest lips first, because when you work on a mellow lip, then you really have to, you have to press into that lip with your feet and drive into that lip to get height. You know, that other, other than the timing, the other thing that most people make the mistake jumping is you don't, you don't jump your bike by lifting your bike. You jump your bike by pressing into the ground, right? You're riding into a ramp surface. If you press into that, it's going to send into the sky. If you lift up, you're just removing that force. So you're at, it's actually counterproductive. If you go up a jump and you lift your bike, you're taking away from the force that that thing's trying to give you, right? So you got to mm -hmm. slow it down, first of all, like stop going so fast, slow it down, press into that lip 
and start to learn to to get um, get height off of a mellow lip. And then as you start going into steeper lips, um, you know, if you want to go really high, then you press into that lip. And if you want to, if you want to try to minimize it, then you kind of, you do absorb some of that energy, but there's different things that you can do with your body, but you got to learn how to do it on a mellow lip first. Cause when, when riders go and learn on a really steep lip first, they go into it way too fast and they just absorb it. And then it's hard to get them to learn to press into it. If you just get in that habit of absorbing the energy and just going faster and faster and you see people only using speed as an indicator of whether or not they make a jump versus the X and Y axis. They're not using height mm -hmm. at all. They're just using speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Max, Max rode at Whistler for a long time. So he's probably ridden more jumps than all of us combined. So yeah, I mean, the other thing I think that I've noticed is everyone's getting on longer and longer travel bikes too. And the more suspension you have, the more effort it requires, I think, to really get the most from the bike. And um, we had some people on downhill bikes from the clinics and you could tell that they just, they weren't giving enough into the lip. And that was kind of, I think, just letting people away, you know, and that's why I think having a, a dirt jump, a hardtail, something like that's such a great learning tool because you can learn on that. And then you take those skills and you kind of put them onto the big bike. Same with the trials, honestly, too. It's cool yeah. to see like you learn all this trial stuff, and now you can do so much of it on the mountain bikes because they're so capable, and it's just working out how to do that. And so with everyone, you know, riding, a lot of people riding enduro bikes, at least, you know, one's 170 mil travel bike is pretty common. Um, and so just letting them know how much effort they need to put into it. You're not just going to roll out a jump and just float over it. It does require a lot of body movement from the rider itself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like when Jeff was talking about, you know, pushing into to it, um, it just reminded me of of like doing a bump jump. And yeah. uh, that was one of those things that I heard somebody explain. I think it was Jeff Kendall Weed on um, on his channel. And it was like in my head, I was like, I never even really thought about what I was doing. But it, it and I, I think, though, that that moment or that the way that you do a bump jump is exactly what you're talking about. It's just that that pressing into something to to decide how much like lift you're going to get, basically. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. One of the so, analogies we give during the clinics is, you know, because we'll get people on hardtails, we'll get people on trail bikes, we'll get them on downhill bikes. When you're doing those movements on your hardtail, like imagine if you're standing on just pavement and I told you to hop in the air. You know, you you hop a certain way. And then if you were standing on a mattress and I said hop, it's obviously you hop completely different, right? You got to slow things down and be more deliberate. And then that downhill bike would, you know, you go into a, a lip of a jump and you press into it. Now, all of a sudden, it's like a trampoline. You got to mm -hmm. really slow things down and be really deliberate, you know? So if people try to press on a downhill bike, how you would press on a hardtail, it's not going to work. And vice mm -hmm. versa, the way you press on a downhill bike isn't going to work on a hardtail. So they all require different timing. You know, so it takes some experience and takes some practice to figure that out. That's a really good analogy. I, I um, I can really relate with that. that right, like if you're on a, if you're on a trampoline, you go to jump on like you would on the ground. You just you just press a trampoline. Yeah. You don't go anywhere. You yeah, got to yeah. go slow and get to the bottom, and then you go yeah. nice and high. Yeah, Max, you were saying that you thought it was really important to have uh, like a dirt jumper or a hardtail. Mm -hmm. What what is it? What's the reason that you feel that way? I think that um. 
Well, one, one of the other thing that I would say that I see people not do on the trail is making the most of pumping rollers and corners and things like that on the trail. And so I think having a dirt jump bike, go on your local BMX track, go and, you know, doing gate practice nights is super fun. Also, just the, how many pump tracks are coming up now. You know, you're not going to have much fun on your mountain bike, but a dirt jumper, you can get out there. You can, you know, not only is it great fitness, but it's also just going to help you really teach and, and learn how to get the most out of pumping a roller um, or a berm or whatever it might be. And then a lot of people, you know, you're talking about learning to manual, for example. And so when you try to learn a manual on a, a mountain bike with rear suspension, there's a lot more going on. The geometry of the bike is changing as you're trying to do this movement. So put you on a hardtail and it eliminates a lot of those um, variables. And it's a good sort of way to build some basic skills like that. And then you, once you feel comfortable on that, it's less of a jump to do it on your trail bike. Whereas trying to do it straight on your trail bike is going to be more difficult, I think. Yeah, it's more I think of a direct just, connection with, yeah, with exactly. your body and the ground, and there's less like movement in between. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's easier to learn. I think it's just a good skill builder. And the cool thing is they're cheap, relatively speaking, and they last forever, which is nice. It's not like you're breaking parts left, right, and center. And I just think that you most people like would shocks. benefit from having one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like shocks, yeah. <laughs> Broke mine the other day, but yeah. So I think it's just I think it's a great tool to have, and whether it's a dirt jumper or even a BMX, you know, the, that's something that's great too. But it just helps you build those basic fundamentals um, that you see a lot of BMX and dirt jump guys already have, and um, I think it helps to do that. Yeah, I can I can personally attest to. Um, I never realized how much speed I could make from pumping, and this is after you know, at that point, probably like 15 years of, of mountain biking or, you know, 20 years of riding bike in my life. And then finally going to a, a local pump track and just realizing that like, I didn't have to pedal the whole way around. And I remember the first, like the first time, the first time I ever dropped in, it was like pedaling through this and pedaling over that and pedaling over that. And I'm like, man, this isn't fun at all. And then um, somewhere, I don't know if somebody said something to me or it just clicked. And next thing you know, I'm like pumping the whole way around this whole thing. And by the time I'm getting at the end of it, I'm like hitting the brakes because I'm like, holy shit, I'm, I'm really freaking cooking right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that has worked into my trail riding in so many ways that it's, it's like, I, I can't even explain it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think another thing with the pumping that if, if you're trying to pedal when you could be pumping, you're changing, you know, your pedals are moving around, your body's weight is kind of distributed differently. You're more likely to clip your pedals, certainly with how low bottom brackets are getting the type of trails are riding. And so if you can eliminate a pedal stroke and just have your body and feet in the right position and pump something, it's going to benefit you a lot more and it's make you more comfortable going to that next feature or object or whatever let's, it might let's be. Let's hearken to Aaron Gwynn's win with no chain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, zero pedaling, <laughs> yeah. yeah, purely yeah. pumping. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it comes in handy even in like rock gardens and all kinds of stuff. Or it's just, I think the biggest thing, like what you said, is that you know, not not hitting anything with your pedals when you're in some kind of like janky Rudy sections and you're coming in fast, but you know, you need to keep that speed, and a quarter crank isn't going to do anything. But if you like, you can pump your your weight right then you can just jam right through that. And I think that practice on the, at the, the bike park as well as you, you then also get to like 
understand how to control the bike under your body as it's reacting to you pumping. Yeah. And it's not just pumping too. Um, you know, we do it more in private lessons and Lance and I have uh, talked about it in how to videos in technical climbing and stuff. So much of it is just allowing your body to keep that momentum going. Like when you're doing a technical climb and if you just sit kind of dead ass in the seat and you're not doing any kind of hip hinges and dynamic movements, then every time your bike hits a rock, everything slows down. Right. And mm -hmm. our body is the biggest amount of mass that we have, you know, um, if you get 220 pounds moving and a 30 bike pound bike stops, as long as you keep your body going, that's why if you ever watch any of these tech climbing videos that we all do, like we're constantly doing hip hinges and scooting the bike forward and then catching back up, but we're letting our, our body continue to keep moving. And then our, our bike might slow down for a second, but then we're accelerating it forward. Cause if you could just keep that mass going, your, your bike can slow down and speed up. That's, that's going to, it won't be a problem. You just don't want to let your body stop moving. So it's kind of like the opposite of pumping. Like, you know, when you're going uphill, you're not pumping into the ground, but you are scooting your bike forward constantly and letting it, let it keep moving over those obstacles. Yeah. Once again, great, great way to explain it. Um, I think that, that, that uh, proves my point that I said earlier about how I don't explain things very well. I'm just like, yeah, just let, let it move around underneath you. You'll be fine. <laughs> not bad. Okay. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, um, it, it's, it's always interesting to me hearing people that have the ability to cheat teach because, um, it, 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 it's a certain perspective, you know, that, um, you have to have in order to do that. And it isn't necessarily like, Hey, that guy's a good rider. That doesn't mean that he could teach you how to ride a bike, you know, hundred percent. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like with yeah. mountain bike trials, when when we're mountain biking, like if you have momentum, everything's good. You know, like half the technical climbs, if it was on a flat section or a downhill, it'd be super easy. The only reason it's hard on a climb is because you don't have momentum. So much stuff is just is is mountain momentum makes so much things easier when you're riding. And when you do mountain bike trials, you don't have momentum. You're doing everything from a standstill. So it, not that mountain bike trials necessarily going to make you a good mountain biker because I have plenty of trials rider friends that are terrible mountain bikers, but then I also have some like you had Kenny Belay on. He's a world class trials rider and he's an amazing mountain biker. They're not mutually, <laughs> they're, uh, they're not mutually mutually combined or whatever. But yeah, right. um, you can't make beneficial. any assumptions, right? But it does one make one or the other. Yeah. But just being a trials rider makes you aware of like what you're doing with your body because you don't have momentum ever. You got to create it. So mm -hmm. not everything translates to mountain biking, but definitely makes you consider that quite a bit when you're analyzing what's going on when you're riding. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of the, the skills like kind of layer on top of each other. I mean, earlier we were talking about pushing into a jump and then we were talking about pumping. And I think that's a really similar um, body movement or like bike movement that you're doing there because um, I've told people to pump before and I've seen them just like bounce, like literally like straight up and down. And it's like, you're not actually doing what I'm talking about, you know? And, and it's hard to like, I think once people get it and they can feel that kind of gravity, a kind of push, 
like it's that same feeling then you can relate that to a jump or you can relate the, am i on the on the right track there i see somebody nodding somebody's like i don't know what this dude's talking about. no i think i think <laughs> that's one of the first things we talk about with body position you know once we get you dialed front to back side to side then we talk about up and down there's a lot of times when we ride our mountain bikes that we want our bikes to be heavy and there's times that we want it to be light and that's from pumping you know if you're pumping you're making the bike heavy and if you want it to be light say i'm coming into a rock garden i'm gonna pump and then try to be light over it you know so we're making our bikes light and heavy and that's a perfect example like when you're going down the backside of a roller we pump because it magnifies that downforce or that that downslope so it'll give us forward momentum when we're going up a jump we pump into it because it's going to magnify that it's going to give us height so that pumping is always going to like increase what the ground is doing mm-hmm. conversely if we want to scrub a jump then we're going to try to be light so but we can manage what the ground's doing whether we press into the ground or if we like lift or you know after we press into the ground there's a lot of things we could do yeah yeah but it's like you said it's all it's all managing the terrain yeah 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 it's interesting um so when people come to training or whatever type of, of instruction do you, do you recommend that they come with flats or if they are used to clips, they use clips? Like, do you have any rules rules there? Um, no rules. We don't really have any rules. I think if, you know, in an ideal world, is it good to learn on flats? For sure. But if it's going to compromise your whole weekend and you're not going to enjoy it or you're going to kind of struggle, then, you know, there's things that we could look for and work around that with clipless pedals. Um, I ride clipped in all the time. Um, but with 20 years of mountain bike trials under my belt, like I can ride flats if I want to. I just, mm-hmm. I just like riding clipped in. These two pretty much always ride on flats. Yeah. yeah. Once in a while, Lance will clip in, but it's pretty rare. Um, there's benefits. I can, I can. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go back and forth. Yeah. I think it's good to go what the rider's comfortable with too. You know, if some of this yeah. person's ridden clipless all their life, then they're well, they may not be comfortable, but you know, the problem they, if they are comfortable, then keep them on that, and that's yeah. what they're going to be riding long term, so you can work with that. Yeah, it, I um, for a long time, I, I I just say, well, first of all, when I first started mountain biking, it was like toe clips was what everybody did, right? You know, and then clipless came <laughs> along, and so like most of my mountain biking experience was always being clipped in and but my bike experience before that was all like bmx as a kid growing up in high school and you know making ruckus all over town and whatnot so like i had the experience on both of them but whenever i got back into mountain biking in my adult years i just went straight into clips and um i rode like that for a long time i talked a lot of people out of out of using flats because i was like it's so efficient you know all the things that all the clips people say right yeah and uh somewhere along the line i started watching every all these other like youtubers and stuff that were riding flats and they were saying you know shoes are better the pedals are better and whatever and i gave it a shot and i realized like there was a lot of bad habits that i made from clips so it it um it really completely changed my mind yeah, I feel like it's – I ride clipped in all the time, but I like to say, like, for me, I think it's good to work on your fundamentals on flats because then when you do clip in, you could, like, level up. So it makes yeah. you Superman or Superwoman. 
But if you just always ride clips and you're just, you're just, you know, you're just man or woman. But if you're clipped in, if you ride flats and you clip in, then you're Superman or Superwoman. So yeah. you don't have that ability to level up. There's nothing wrong with either one, but I feel like you can definitely get extra benefits. It's definitely way more efficient to ride clipped in for sure. Yeah. Like anybody who says climbing doesn't make a difference, whatever. I could do the same ride on climbing flats. is 100% <laughs> yeah. better, no doubt. Yeah, people, I, you know, if I do the same ride on flats and then the next day go back on clips, it's it's easier. Even not even tech stuff, just just pedaling up a hill. It's definitely and the shoes come easier. into play yeah. stiffer and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, but you lose feel. Yeah. yeah. But I also think though, with trails becoming more and more technical, one thing you see people is they struggle at slow speeds, you know, to control over the tech terrain. And so I think by going to a flat pedal it might give the rider a little bit more confidence. You know, if they feel like they're going to fall over, they can just take their foot off and they can put it down. And there's a little bit lower consequence to try in these more technical features where if you're clipped in and you're not, you know, it's not second nature just to pop your foot off out of the clip, then, you know, it's, it's going to give you that confidence to try these knowing you can put a foot down very easily or take both feet off the bike. Even for myself, 100%. Yeah. When, yeah, I, when I'm clipped in, I don't want to play around as much. Um, nervous about balance lines or something mm -hmm. yeah, you lose it a split second for sure with, yeah with being clipped in yeah no i think i think it's a good way to if you want to improve your slow speed technical riding going flaps is a good way to help build the confidence to try stuff you might not otherwise do so i felt like my clip and i still use clipless pedals on my gravel bike and stuff i just i've been actually con like considering throwing them back on my mountain bike again just recently to to see kind of what how i feel about it now after a couple of years on flats, but, um, I felt like, um, the clipless pedals really didn't, they, they didn't, they weren't conducive to like having your feet in the right position on your pedals to corner better. Do, do you guys agree with that? Like, like it doesn't like put you in that, like that spot. Cause like the, where your, your foot's kind of on the, like the ball of your foot, you know, it's, you're not dropping your heel or you, you know what I mean? I felt like clipless was made the cornering felt better. I think in the future, really? these clipless stuff. I feel like you kind of you can. I don't know. You feel like you can turn the bike more. Sort of, you can press harder. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain it, but I feel like it felt better in the corners being clipless. I thought. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think? Um. Well, as a trials rider, I could tell you that. For the longest time, I really I thought I really sucked at cornering because we don't have to corner when we ride trials. And also growing up on the East Coast, we never had berm turns until mountain bike parks recently. So I was always a decent flat turn guy and a decent rocky turn guy, but I definitely did not do good at berms. Mm -hmm. um, when I went through my little enduro racing stage, probably eight or 10 years ago, I did um, the Winter Park EWS and um, like the technical stages I did you know, relative for whatever I did pretty decent. And then there was one Burmy stage and I like did really terrible. And I, I think it's because if you give up like a 10th, even a 10th of a second on a hundred berms, you know, that's several seconds, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so if you're riding with your buddies, it wouldn't be like, wow, Jeff sucks at berm turns, but like on a, on a run with a hundred berms, it, it adds up. Um, I feel like now that I've been, doing more coaching then since I tell people what to do all the time then you tell yourself to do it all the time and I feel like I turn better on berm turns with flat pedals than than clip pedals you have more feel 
Because I because when you you know one of the things you want to do on those berm turns is point your hips, and if you could point your hips and really torque the pedals with your feet, so not like adjust your feet on the pedals, but just put torque into those pins with a good grippy pair of shoes, it just feels like the bike just steers through those turns so much faster. Whereas on a SPD, it just kind of just pivots. You know, there's no resistance. But if I'm mm-hmm. standing on a sticky pair of pedals, I could really torque my feet and really drive the bike through those turns. At least I feel feel like it. Yeah, I felt like yeah. I just had. I was able to do that with the clipless. Better. I mean, I guess it depends on the pedals you're using too. Some have more float than others, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess just feeling connected to it, I felt like you could almost get more movement out of the bike from it. I don't nice. know. But I, I question though, Max, whether or not that comes from already understanding the technique from experience with flats. You, you know yeah. what I mean? And then that's why, like, maybe, but like, where somebody they spend most of their time on clips all along, like, you, you don't have that like foundation. Yeah, yeah, that could be true. Flats have a better feel, absolutely. Yeah. You really mm-hmm. feel what your feet are doing and the pressure you're applying. You know, clipless has the stiffer shoes and, you know, that you're kind of floating. So the interface is, it's more of a variable. Yeah. 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 I mean, and for me, like I, I, I had that like BMX background. So maybe that's, you know, that feel is definitely a, a big thing, you know, that to to kind of understanding what's going on with your bike. So I, I, I feel like riding with clips, at least when you're really trying to learn something is, um, I don't know, it's maybe it's just my own personal opinion. I, I feel like it, it's, it dampens that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Robert, what do you say we start answering some of the questions people are asking and try to get what? people to, as I'm hijacking your, your own, live stream yeah. and you think, we could talk about you, coaching all day but i feel like that's that's boring i want to talk about lance's career prior to trail bus academy yeah let's talk about it what'd you do lance? Not an adult actor it's it's actually more exciting <laughs> so lance and i have been riding mountain bike trials for 25 years he was a resident at cirque du soleil in florida so what have you ever been to disney in in orlando yeah yeah i have yeah, so there was like a installation show or whatever. Resident show. Resident yeah. show. Mm-hmm. And he was a cast member there for over 15 years. So this guy has probably more views than any YouTuber ever combined, just live views as a cast member in a certain display <laughs> show. And nobody even knows who he is. Old school. It's old school. <laughs> old school before yeah. YouTube when Grass people roots. actually came and watched. Grassroots. Yeah. So you were you were riding bike in that show? Yeah, it was uh, you know, kind of mountain bike trials, the same, you know, we what we've been doing for years, just hopping mm-hmm. around, going through the audience, jumping over people. It was sort of like uh, a textbook trial show, but in a in a very theatrical environment. So it was, mm-hmm. it was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, we were like dressed up like Pluto, but. <laughs> Uh, not exactly. I mean, there was costume and other assorted uh, regalia, but no, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah it, w- it was a spectacle for sure. <laughs> How'd you get into that? Um, originally, uh, we had a good friend that um, was involved, uh, Doug White was involved with doing uh, trials competitions, and we knew him for years, and he had been uh, originally he kind of laid the foundations and was at that show for about five years. And then he was going to kind of retire and, you know, said, Hey guys, you know, anybody else interested? And I 
just got out there and ended up signing on with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Actually, that story is kind of interesting. So I was, this was literally over 25 years ago. Um, there was a show called Ordinary Extraordinary. It was a pilot episode for, you know, just a variety TV show with John Ritter. You know, Jack Tripper from Three's Company. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was the we're, host. We're dating ourselves right now, Jeff. Yeah. Nobody else. <laughs> yeah, so, so Jack, Tripper, Jack Tripper was even, the host. Even Max doesn't know what that show is. No, no I yeah. <laughs> He was the host. Um, this woman who was Miss America was the co-host. And I was writing for Schwinn at the time. And they invited Jay Iron, who was a BMX freestyle legend, to come and do the world's first ever double backflip. So... That was this, he was the star of the show, doing the world's ever first first ever double backflip. And Sean Peters, who was a flatlander for BMX and myself, we did like a quick little like intro before they introduced Jay, the star of the show. Like I hopped off some scaffolding and Sean did some flatland stuff. And then Jay stole the show and did the world's first ever double backflip and the rest was history, whatever. Um, so I guess they were starting to cast that show then. So I had just mm -hmm. been in Orlando and then like a couple weeks later, um, some of Jay's friends called me and said like, hey, they're casting the show and they called in all the local flatland guys. But the second they saw that they wanted you to hop upstairs and off elevator floors and stuff, we knew it was a trials rider and we just met you like two weeks ago. So they gave him my name. But that's, I was like just gotten on Schwinn, maybe like two years riding pro, traveling around doing a lot of demos and I didn't want to move to Florida at the time. So then I recommended Doug White, who lived down there, to do the show. And then he did it for five years. And then when he gave it up, Lance auditioned against a few of our friends. And he beat everybody and, and got the show. But, yeah, that was kind of the, mm -hmm. the origin. Mm -hmm. Was It was all because Jay Miron did the first ever World's Ever Backflip. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, Lance, what was your favorite part of doing that? Uh, it was just an amazing experience. Uh top-notch facilities really like it wasn't uh like a bicycle sport level thing like it was just a whole level higher than that where basically anything we needed or wanted they they just provided for us so we had a whole practice area and just you're just riding every day so it was it was you know premier level athletics and that was honestly my dream like i always wanted to be a, a professional athlete so that's what it was. Just go, uh, you know, go every day, warm up, do do your stuff, and ride for a packed house. Come, yeah. How many thousands of people each day? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, like fifteen hundred people in the audience per show. Yeah. So, would they uh, give uh, you like direction, like like, hey, we think it would be cool if you jumped off of this, you know, thing or into this thing or we want to set this on fire and then you flip it into there or, or did you kind of come up with your own stuff? Yeah. Well, the, the basic framework was there and then it kind of would, it evolved over time, you know, every month or throughout the years. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, a work, it was always a work in progress. I call it like performance art. So it was kind of like, you know, you're, it was evolving over time and it was, it was a great, great yeah. deal. Yeah. But when not you a look lot back, of license, right? Like, well, no. Once, once, like everybody agreed what was going to happen, then then it was basically choreographed. Yeah. With like at least a dozen other people, and you know, um, 
light effects and music and other other special effects so you're not just freestyling every day like it was it was very strict so that was kind of the hard part where normally when you we would do a a trial show you kind of mess around and you know you take your own time but this was like literally on the beat of the music so it wasn't just writing it was it was performance writing so kind of was a little bit more intense than what we're used to yeah when you look back on on your career of 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 doing that what is the thing like the moment that you that like comes to mind meeting eli manning (laughs) yeah yeah there was a lot of celebrities and stuff that went through there um I like how Jeff answered for you. This yeah. is what was most important. <laughs> well, personally, for me, it's that Lance met Eli Manning. Yeah. yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah. He's like way bigger than he thinks. <laughs> um, no, it was just uh I don't know. I mean, some of the some of the close calls, truthfully. I mean, it was like, yeah, you know, you're dealing with the bicycle and you know, just live every day, and you think you know what's gonna happen, but sometimes the audience like reaches out and tries to grab you or something and, or, you know, somebody gets up and walks across or it was, it was just a dynamic environment. It's so much spontaneity that it was re- really exciting. Like pretty much every day. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, how about you, Jeff? Was it like being on Regis and Kathy Lee? Was that the moment for you when you look back on your career? That was the moment for my mom. 100 100 yeah the tide turned for my parents the day that i was on regis and kathy lee for sure um finally they were like oh you're not wasting your life yeah it was like 100 percent. what are you doing this ridiculous and then their friends were like oh my god you must be so proud and then it was like the light bulb went off and, and then they've you know they've kind of been supportive ever since um but yeah, I, I mean, I've been super lucky that those Schwinn days were probably the craziest because it wasn't so much about me. Um, well, it wasn't so much about me. Like I obviously had to be able to deliver, but Schwinn was a huge story. It was their 100th anniversary. So as long as you could go and like perform in front of a live audience or give a decent interview or whatever, like we did Regis and Kathy Lee and the Today Show and MTV Beach House every year and like all this crazy stuff. So that was probably like the coolest part for live demos. Plus like mm-hmm. before before YouTube and everything, like all those live shows were huge. You know, you used to go and do that stuff and people never saw it. So nowadays, like even somebody who goes to a Danny McCaskill video live show is probably disappointed because they see a Danny McCaskill video on YouTube and you know, you can't repeat something that you do a hundred times. This was like yeah. before anybody ever saw that, like, the only time you'd ever see that was live in person. So Lance was there doing it for Volvo Cannondale. Back in the day, I did it for Schwinn. Like people used to go nuts for those demos. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean to see that stuff all laid out one after another without somebody messing up is is like crazy impressive, you know. Max was probably just born then. <laughs> was ten. I probably saw some highlights at some point. Max is yeah, literally yeah, like some archives. <laughs> Max is literally like the the typical thing where like somebody like him will be like, oh yeah, I, I grew up riding watching you, and then they're like a thirty five year old guy like he is. Like yeah, as you get older, they're not twenty year old kids anymore. I grew up watching you ride. They're like grown men. 
so um what was it about max other than his uh his manual capabilities that made you decide like hey this guy should be part of the the, the travel Wasp academy um well he's we got along good right from the get-go he did a bunch of like ski coaching and uh huge interest in personal training so like that obviously you know is a similar mindset but i think it's just like a personality thing like i feel like we got along just right from this right from the jump so kind of like a no-brainer how about you max what made you say yes to, to jeff saying let's do this um so yeah so like like he jeff said i've done some ski coaching before and um my other passion aside from riding bikes and other things is going to the gym and definitely going to the gym with buddies who are new to it or want to kind of get to another level on it it's cool to go and coach people so i've always enjoyed teaching people things and just kind of helping people learn and so when the opportunity came up to you know to coach with jeff and lance i just couldn't really say no you know i was really excited about it and it was um yeah something that I'd, yeah definitely something that i'm super excited about and mm -hmm. not saying i'd necessarily thought about too much before um but really stoked on the opportunity and it's been awesome so far and um like i said it's just really cool to see to like to share your passion with other people and see them getting fired up when they made something that they didn't think they could or they got better and I don't know, it's just fun to be around that environment, I guess. How about any of you? What's your favorite thing to to coach? I know like like uh there's gotta be one where you're like, nah, I love doing this. So this is really cool. I love seeing people come to this moment or are you talking to who are you talking to, sorry? Anybody wants to answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> weekend, right? Like yeah. pe literally people that we were out there with at Thunder Mountain were right there and like they were they were improved they were benefiting from yeah it's like farm to table we did a clinic at thunder mountain two weeks ago and last week last weekend a week later they bumped into some of them at mountain creek and saw them like obviously riding at a higher level so mm -hmm. it's pretty rewarding yeah i think yeah. it's cool to see people like at the start of a day maybe or a weekend so you kind of look, ride past a trail and there's a really tech feature and they look and think about it It'd be really cool to hit that and by the end of the weekend they are hitting it and they never thought they would from the start and it's kind of cool to see them build the confidence to try those those features out you know i think that's always fun mm -hmm. I, I love tech features definitely one of my favorite things to do so when you see someone make it for the first time and they're like thinking about it and checking it out and you're talking through it and then they actually hit it and see how stoked they're on it i think that's really cool mm -hmm. so are you talking about like a big rock roll kind of like a rock roll rock garden kind of yeah, situation I mean, it depends where you're riding i guess but yeah I mean, on a bike park you know rock rolls cool or maybe a big drop you know maybe at the start of the day they weren't drops just freaked them out or jumps a good example because a lot of people are you know intimidated by jumps and so if you can get them through a cool blue jump line by the end of the day at the start of it they were just hitting a small table i think that's pretty rewarding and to see them just wanting to go and get another lap on it because they're having so much fun I think that's yeah. I don't think there's a lot of progressive like drops in anywhere for people to really like per practice on. Like some I'll see some bike parks that are just like there's a two foot, a three foot, a five foot, a six foot, you know, and they're right next to each other. And I think about of all the places that I've ridden that there's nothing like that, you know, and they're like those are very few and far between. Yeah, I, I agree. I think particularly in certain places, like in California, I feel like at least 
there's not as many bike parks in terms of just local small ones, you know, but then you go to Utah or you go to Colorado and they just seem to put a lot more money into those parks and it's a really cool place to learn. Or, you know, you live near Highland, they have the indoor area, they have the bike yeah. park itself. And so there's just, you definitely, depending on where you live, you get more exposure to those opportunities, which is a shame in some senses, you know, it'd be cool to see other places. I think it's that. picking up though. I think I think it's catching on with the skills areas and like Definitely. building you know, practice zones. Mm -hmm. I think it's starting to get a little bit more popular. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely see a change in the past few years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general, speak I mean, you definitely um I mean, just in trails themselves, where you know, years ago there was, you know not much at all and now you can open up trail forks and just kind of pan around the country and you're like wow there's trails everywhere i think it's tough for you in california and us in new jersey where, where i am in new jersey like they're very litigious states so it's mm -hmm. kind of you know we probably will be the last ones to see skills parks but like yeah. tennessee florida wisconsin ohio like places you wouldn't expect uh, i was in chelsea michigan over the summer so many of those places, you know, the park managers are really starting to see that like mountain bike is a lifestyle sport. If these parks want the federal funding or state funding, then they need to create and provide, you know, trails and things that people want to use. So it just comes down to money. Like they, yeah. they want to get the funding and the only way they're going to get the funding to make these riders happy nowadays, is start putting those things in. Um, there are less litigious places in New Jersey and California, so they're a little bit more flexible with what they can build. But you see them popping up at a lot of places all around the country. Yeah, I think people are starting to realize that the money's there, too. I mean, I've, yeah. I've seen a lot of different states that they're actually, like, private parks that are, that are like, building trails and doing, you know, whatever, instead of it just being something that had to be funded by the state. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think is driving that change? I feel like mountain biking is just a, it really is a lifestyle sport now. You know, when you and I got into it or Lance, it was like racing downhill or it was cross country racing, downhill racing trials, like three things. Now everybody wants to like go for, go for, put on their flat soled shoes and their, their baggy pants and their flannel shirt and, stop and have a micro brew and they're done and it's it's not so much about just like racing or like that gym mentality it's you know going out learning a skill spending time with the friends um i mean i feel like that's probably the biggest thing pushing it plus the bikes are so good you know a skills park would have been a sketchy proposition 10 years ago now the bikes are so good you can have and the bikes would have just broken anyway. yeah you can have lesser <laughs> skilled riders go and it's not so sketchy anymore you know yeah really getting it figured out yeah. yeah even downhill parks like think of a downhill park 15 years ago it would have been like broken collarbone city and now you can you can go and rent a bike and try it for the first time and make it down the hell, hell safely because the bike's so good you know yeah and the trails yeah. too they're actually yeah. engineering the trails to be rideable yeah like reasonably yeah not just like go through the woods and you know see what happens yeah well, Max, you could probably speak to this. I had one of my friends say that his experience at Whistler is like everything's built there so well that mm -hmm. it's like almost impossible not to be able to like get better. Yeah, 100%. Like just riding 
the cool thing about Whistler is they have such an insane kind of small trail crew there that all love to ride themselves and they want to not only build stuff that they want to ride, but they know what works and what doesn't. And it's one of those kind of really going there first and getting that experience and then going to other bike parks, you kind of realize how lucky you are there where, you know, you ride on the trail and for the most part, everything is trail speed. You know, the jumps get a little bit bigger as you go faster and slow as you go smaller um, or smaller as you go slower, sorry. Whereas, you know, and so to get that experience and it's just the variety, the huge variety of trails as well and just be able to lap, you know, lap after lap after lap versus having to pedal up and get one lap in per day, you might get, you know, 15 laps at the bike park and you just get the repetition. Um, and I think kind of what we were talking about earlier about people not really sessioning things and um, people have a tendency to go out on a trail ride and they just want to go up and come down. And I think the bike park just allows you to not only session stuff, but just hit stuff so much more often that you really get to work on those different features or different skills you're trying to focus on. Um, do you do you feel like Whistler being built the way that it is, like or, like gives people more confidence than they should have because it's like so perfect? And then they go somewhere else and then they're like thinking, oh, I did this 35 foot table. And then they go home and they're like in their backyard trails. A little bit of a comment to that effect. Yeah. And I think it definitely depends on where you're riding. But when you're used to riding stuff that's built really well and you go other places where the, it's not quite built the same and you're expecting it to be built one way, then I think that can lead to some overconfidence for sure. Um yeah, so I think to an extent that can definitely do that. Um, just the, yeah, I, I could tell, I could see that. And I know that when I left Whistler and kind of started going other places and whatnot, you have to be a little bit more aware of certain things. I think just you know a different speed for certain jumps where some jumps. I feel like when you got smaller. here, you were overconfident. Overconfident. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had to like work into it. You, know? <laughs> you had to really apply yourself a little more. You know. You were used to the luxury of premier buildings. Yeah, well, it, it's, then you got it's into pretty the nitty gritty. Then he was introduced to East Coast hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. No, but actually, I've been really stoked on the parks out here. I thought we went to Thunder Mountain, and I was kind of it completely exceeded my expectations. It's been really cool, and then even you know Mountain Creek as well had an awesome time there. And um, yeah, I definitely definitely will be coming back next year to do an East Coast tour for sure, and go check out Highlands as well, and all those spots. So I think I think the cool thing about the, the East Coast and the Midwest and these places, it's cool to see smaller mountains where maybe the skiing is either non-existent or just very basic skiing, realizing that they can have all the terrain they need for an awesome mountain bike park. They don't need, you know, um, as much vertical as a really, you know, um, as the, the Rockies or place like that. You don't need these huge mountain ranges to have a great bike park. You just need some elevation. And I think you're starting to see a lot more of that and these smaller resorts making amazing bike parks and really putting in a lot of money into it, which is super cool. I think you 100% nailed it there. I mean, I went to that Spider Mountain in Texas and I think it has 350 feet of elevation loss. And I had a great time riding there. I've never been. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, it really, it blew me away. Like, put it this way. Like, I showed up there leaving Northern California where we do like downhill runs that are 15 miles long you, you know what i mean so it's like oh yeah like i rode from the top of armstrong down to the bottom of corral i was nine miles yesterday and now i'm in texas and they're gonna have a 350 feet elevation loss like yeah. there is almost impossible to show up and not be like this is gonna be bullshit 
Yeah. Like, like I, I totally did not think that it was going to be as fun as it was. I had a blast all day long. Like, so um, if they can do that in 350 feet, uh, it really makes you realize what you can do. And like what you said, Max, like there's a lot of, of ski resorts where I grew up in Pennsylvania that they're not huge. They're, they, their longest run is not even a quarter of the size of something we have in Tahoe. But man, they could build some some sick mountain bike stuff up there, you know. And the seasons are longer too. Like the summer, the period where the snow's gone is longer. So they, you, know, you have a longer season to be able to ride. You have all the you have spring, summer, and fall to be able to ride these parks. And you're all in the trees. There's awesome dirt. And uh, yeah, I think I think Thunder Mountain's a great example where it's a pretty small resort, and yet they have that Fort Hill run, which is this, you know a huge set of jumps and drops. And it's so cool to see these smaller resorts making, you know, kind of like world-class trails, honestly. And um, hopefully that will continue to spread. And, I, and it's also just a cool way for a business to operate in the summer and continue to make money and allow more people to ride. And, you know, I think bike park is a great way to build your skills with how many laps you can get in and how many repetitions, you know. A hundred percent. It's like a no brainer. Like I, I, I see a future where every, every ski resort has mountain bike runs because it's like you have the infrastructure built already. And now instead of having, depending on what part of the country and it could be nine months of the year that you're not operating, you know, and, and you have this, like before they were having to make their whole year's salary or income in like three months or four months. And now you can open that up to the whole year. It, it just is like, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, I don't understand why they're not all like cutting dirt right now, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Did you know that, uh, gravity logic built a lot of the thunder trails? Mm -mm. Yeah. That's why, I, okay. why they seem familiar. Yeah. Thunder mountain is in mass Western Massachusetts. And a lot of their trails were built by gravity logic, which builds at uh, Whistler. Oh, right on. So yeah, they're like cool. super dialed, super dialed. Um, Max, did you get a chance to do any like local trail rides back there? Have you ridden in the East Coast much? Uh, no, this is like this is actually my first time. Um, I'd been to New York City twice, I think, for a few days just to visit some family, uh, but I'd never ridden out here. So this is kind of the the first time I've really got to check it out. Which you is why you've got the hardcore cool. local. This so guy, I, I got just local trail. trail experience the other day. That was super fun. Um, that, that's the really trail ride I've done so far, yeah. but it's cool. It's completely different because it's so rocky. Um, but also I think there's just tons of potential. You have all these giant rock slabs and things you can work into the trail. And I mean, obviously loving tech riding, it's right up my alley. I thought it was a really good time. We might yeah, I was recently home. I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. I was recently home and, uh, it, it was really different. Like I, I mean, I grew up riding back there, but I kind of forgot it's been 20 years since I've been back there and, uh, riding, let's say, and, and, uh, the way that the rocks react with your tires and the grip there compared to like what we experience out here in California is so different. So it was really, um, it, it was a little humbling for me to, to get back on the tech there and kind of have to maneuver it especially wet roots and things yeah. like that. And you actually have real dirt loam and stuff like that, which is really cool. So the rocks sweat here. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. The humidity, actually the, the moisture from the ground comes up 
through the rocks. It's crazy. Bizarre. Where are you from in PA again? I know we talked about uh, this. York, York. So South Central, kind of like. So I was riding up in the Caledonia area, kind of like close to Harrisburg, Mechanicsburg, kind of that area, like west of there, I guess. Lance and I spent lots of time in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, right on. Because all yeah. the motorcycle, you know, motorcycle trials was really popular back then. And they would always host bike trial events. So we spend tons of time around there. Yeah, I found it really difficult for me to, um, like, for my brain to see where the trail was going. Because out here, it's really, um, we don't have a lot of leaves and stuff like that on the trail. So, and then it's also, you know, not super green. So between it being so green and the leaf cover on the ground, I was uh, really having a hard time of knowing where I was at. And then on top of it, like you don't actually know what's under the leaves. So like having to, to be like ride loose enough to be able to navigate what's going on under your tires that you can't see was really something that I um like a skill set I've forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta feel definitely experienced that it. first time this trip. All the all <laughs> the leaves are falling and on the tech trails and things, you're just like, well, not quite sure what's underneath here. And then also when you're in the woods, you don't really know where the trail goes. If it's not a very popular trail, you kind of say, Well, it could go anywhere. This looks yeah. might be the way. Hopefully I'm going the right direction, you know. But it's cool, it's just another element that makes it a bit more. Not a tremendous difference. difference between on the trail and off the trail. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. In in reality. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that you were saying about the the rock sweating is like I can't tell you how many times my my tire just like slid or spun sideways because the way the rock was shaped and like out here, um, even it, it seems like even when our rocks are wet they're grippy. Like back there, it seemed like it didn't matter what like they were. I was sliding on all of them, you know. Yeah. More mossy and yeah, our yeah, rocks doesn't matter sure. if you're. Yours don't matter if it's wet, they're still sticky. Ours don't matter if they're dry, they're still slippery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, better, yeah. you better be on your toes. Yeah, it was really every interesting because like... Go ahead. I was going to say every year when I go to Sedona or something like that for the first time after a while, the biggest hurdle is just like retraining your brain how quickly you could stop. Like yeah. you look at a roll in or something and you're like, there's no way I'm stopping. Cause you think about if it was on the East coast, there's no, there's literally no way you would stop. It just wouldn't happen. And then, yeah. and then you start riding in Sedona for a day or two and you start seeing like how much traction you have, the ridiculous things you can climb and then you get used to it. But it's, it's a huge change at first cause we don't have that traction here. Yeah, yeah, I um, I was definitely reintroduced to to East Coast riding, and it was um, <laughs> it was painful. We'll just say it like that. <laughs> what do you what are you looking forward to the most with uh, the upcoming year and and trail loss? Um, so we'll let them answer as well. But I guess for me, it's just uh, getting to work with them and trying to get some more consistency in the events. You know, the, I started coaching probably two years ago, but it was kind of like a half-hearted effort. Then this year I saw how receptive people were, were to it, but it was still trying to like squeeze it in between other events I had planned and all the other crap that I have going on. And next year I want to be a lot more intentional, like get them on the calendar and plan around them versus trying to squeeze them in around my other schedule, like make that the priority 
-hmm. because you know as a uh, sponsorship is still pretty important component of what i do but that's super valuable for your partners to get out and work with a you know spend a weekend working with 20 40 riders that really trust you you know that that impression could be just as valuable as going to a festival and just riding with 60 people for an hour you know mm -hmm. um so even though the numbers aren't quite as high it's still super important it's probably the most it's definitely the most rewarding thing i do nowadays is like like we went to thunder mountain two weeks ago and we we had camping we rode with people for two days like by the end of the weekend it's like you're all buddies you know it's it's yeah. awesome like it's a win-win for everybody they go home feeling like they've improved can ride safer and more confidently we put on a fun event we all made some new friends it's pretty cool how about you lance i would say just working with me right yeah absolutely Probably. that's Probably. what i was gonna say yeah, yeah. well i guess also i'd add to that the um I'm looking forward to kind of going to some different places and riding new terrain that I haven't and meeting the local riders as well and um, just meeting new people. And yeah, I think that, that'll be super fun. Definitely the going to different places will be cool. Like I said, I'm mainly being down the West Coast for the most part and this is my first East Coast trip and it was awesome and it'll be cool. Like I said, even go to Texas, place like that, it'd be fun to go and see what that's all about and see what the local scene's like too, you know? I think that's always fun. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's really cool to see like through like we work with like fathers and their and their kids or moms and kids and you know it's 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 cool to get through the generations and influencing people like when I think when we all started riding we were just I don't know for me I think for you it's just like you're just messing around and trying to figure things out or you'd see like the VHS tape of somebody and like watch it a hundred times and be like, Whoa, maybe I could do that. But really getting like some good core instruction for younger riders and, you know, with their parents too. That's, that's, that's really rewarding. Basically trying to give the parents the tools they need to hold off their kids a little bit longer because they're breathing down their necks. So if you're right. a parent, you're watching this, and your kid's getting too good, call one eight hundred Trail Boss. <laughs> <laughs> now you're gonna have to get the number. We might be able to buy it six months or a year, but your kids are getting too good too fast. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, you have you have a couple of, of younger kids, Jeff. Um, you you working with them? I don't have younger kids. I have adult kids. Um, yeah, adult kids. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jack's 21. He he is annoyingly naturally talented. He'll hop on a bike every now and then. And you know, I you had to have seen me. If anybody's ever watched me, I'd make punch videos all the time. He could hop on his bike and go over a two-foot log, no problem. Like no practice. Not even interesting. Like, it's, like, it's too easy. like no problem. Uh so he's a natural. Um my daughter's eight, 19 now, and she just finished like a career, whatever you want to call it, of competition cheer. So she's looking for the next thing, and I keep telling her it should be mountain biking, but she <laughs> says it's too dangerous. So I don't know how you, <laughs> if you've ever watched the Netflix cheer documentary, like that was her. I don't know how you how you think bike riding is dangerous. Yeah, um, the way they're getting. This is 12. 
My youngest <laughs> is 12 and he likes going for bike rides, but he just, he, we just go for chill bike rides. Yeah. My right kids on. don't want to learn from everybody else. What's that? How about you, Lance? You have kids? No, no, just pets. Just pets and there birds. You go. How are you, Max? <laughs> no, no kids. There you go. So you guys got open schedules then, huh? Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> so is the idea with the idea with the events that all three of you will be at each one of those things every month? Or are you thinking that like there's like something that's you know, Lance is doing this one in January by himself and uh, Max is doing this one in February by himself or how's that, how's it going to play out? That would be the ideal situation. Lance likes to play hard to get. So, uh, you know, when we can get him, we get him. but it isn't always easy. I'm a prima donna. <laughs> um, he is, he is a little bit of a prima donna, <laughs> but yeah, like Thunder Mountain was, we had enough riders that it made sense to have three and that would obviously be the goal at all these events. And then private coaching aside, you know, on the side. So the private coaching definitely happened whenever. So basically, well, how do people go about um, finding out about what you guys are doing? Right over Lance's head, trailboss.bike. Mm-hmm. Um, bike has all the information there. You could email. There's an Instagram page. Um, on the website, too, is everybody's name. So they can follow Max, Lance, myself on social. Um, Trailboss YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Try to throw these guys in whenever I I can because they're my favorite people to ride with. Because not many people that want to waste hours. Just <laughs> so true. <laughs> Max and it's I went to Max and I, were, <laughs> Max and I were at Moab uh, two weeks ago. And if you look at the Strava heat map, we probably spent the most amount of time in like a fifty-yard area of this pile of rocks. <laughs> like we rode everything, but that's like where we. Spend all our time. Same thing with Lance. Sometimes those rocks look good. Sometimes I missed it. it. Sometimes Lance and I won't even get out of the parking lot. (laughs) I'll ride three hours. We'll go to the parking lot. Yeah, exactly. So that's good stuff. So what? Um, what? How? Um, does the process go? Like, hey, I want to get a personal personal session. What do you What do you do? Just send the email and be like, what date works or Yep, trailboss.bike. That's it. Yep. Right on, man. Well, dude, it's been super fun chatting. Yeah. Anything anything you feel like we haven't talked about? I mean, late earlier you were like, we're talking about Lance's career. I'm going to make sure we. I got you happy. Let's talk about living in Whistler. <laughs> I mean, living in Whistler, for me, Summer Whistler is my favorite place. I don't think there's – I haven't been to New Zealand yet, but it's – Probably it's my favorite place for sure. You just the days are long. The channels open until eight. Um, I had a downhill bike for the most part, so I didn't get too much time in the trail system. But all my friends who still live up there, they stopped buying a bike park pass and they just started exploring all the trail network. And now I've got motorbike trials, uh, moto trials, and um, doing all that. So it's just it's cool because everyone who's there has got the same mentality as you. You know, they love being outdoors. They want to ride bikes. They want to do all these things and it's just some of the best riding in the world and it's all there. And I, I don't know, it's every time I got to, I hadn't been in a long time and I got to go this year for Crankworks and it was, that was awesome. Just super good to be back and I need to make it a yearly thing for sure. Does it ever get boring living in Whistler? I don't, like, I don't think so. It it, it's just weird. Like if you've ever done a ski season, you end up, you're in this kind of bubble. I remember when I first moved there, I don't think I, I left Whistler after, 
you know, like four or five months of just only being worse because I didn't have a car or anything, you know, and then you go to Vancouver and that was your, your trip outside of the bubble. But when you're in the bubble, it's, it's kind of weird. Everything just like everything exists in there and you just do your thing and everyone's doing the same as you. And I don't know. It's, I don't think it gets boring. I think sometimes you get that island fever where you do want to go and take a trip. And so for a lot of people, they'll do that during the off season, you know, when the rain comes in November time and the ski resort's not open, people go away for a couple of weeks and get some sun and whatever they want to do. But the rest of the time, it's, I don't know, it's super cool. I'll tell you what, you did, when you're bored in Whistler, you go to Squamish. There you go. Yeah. Right. I think that's still kind of the, the bubble, right. I would say. But yeah. I don't, right. We were up there. Yeah. yeah. What's your uh, What's your favorite place you've ever ridden? Honestly, B BC up there, all those crazy North Shore trails. Ryan Leach. Yeah. Right. He he gave me a tour up there. It was yeah, phenomenal. Was super I was cool. like absolutely couldn't believe what was going on in those woods. Yeah. Have you ever ridden up there, Robert? No, I haven't. It's funny when you were talking about uh, Whistler, because when I was younger, I was, I took a little bit of a break from, from mountain biking. And during that time, I was really into skiing. And I lived in Europe, and I was skiing in the Alps and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, man, I'm going back to the States. Where am I going to go? And I remember just dreaming about going to Whistler. I, I think I even had like Whistler's like ski run map up on the wall or something like that. And my office or something and uh i just always thought about going there and it's funny now it's like i still want to go to whistler but not for the same reasons yeah <laughs> well the thing is you go for winter and you stay for summer you know and i think that's the skiing is obviously insane there it's really good but the summer there's just so much more to do the days are longer it's uh yeah it's pretty special for sure definitely yeah. out of your list how about you, Jeff? You've ridden a lot of places. You asked Lance what his favorite place was. What do you like? Um, so I've been to Whistler a bunch of times. Um, I didn't, my exposure to the local trails, like around the trail system around the mountain was only when I did the EWS, like the first couple of years. And that was ridiculous because they're just public trails. And they're like the gnarliest <laughs> trails I've ever ridden in my entire life. And it's insane to think like that's where you can go out after work on a Tuesday afternoon and ride. Like it was the most insane shit I've ever seen. So yeah. I would imagine if I went back there and I had more time there, I'd probably say Whistler. But other than that, I would say Moab or Sedona, probably Sedona and then Moab. Sedona mainly because it's just a little bit more concentrated. Mm -hmm. Moab is awesome, but Sedona is just more of a cluster of that tech stuff that I really like doing. Mm -hmm. um but then there's just random places that pop up all over the place you know that that are really really fun but scenery wise epicness all that i'd say it's sedona for sure i haven't yeah. been to the alps yet though europe i'd like to go check out that i think like the, the scene in the past yeah. looked really really cool out there yeah yeah I, I never did any riding in europe so i know uh bkxe put a thing up the other day for this ride that they're doing in Peru. And it just like, just the one screenshot, I was like, wow, that looks sick. Our friend puts together a trip to Peru every year and it looks insane. You know, it's like several thousand foot descents and yeah, like riding on, on roads and fields and through people's yards and just nobody cares and trail systems and urban downhilling. And it's just like pure mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's the first time I've actually considered like 
like a mountain bike trip. Normally when you see those things come up and it's like, Hey, come to Moab and ride for $3,000. I'm like, you're high dude. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. that you know what I mean? I'm like, I'll go out there and do it on my own or something like that. <laughs> but when you see something like that and like, um, then you, you really start to think about it. I, I rode in Jamaica over the summer oh, and wow. that was one of those places where I always wanted to ride. And that was definitely like what you were explaining, Jeff, where it's like, these are like trails that have been there for like hundreds of years that the like people used to like get around. Right. Yeah. And it, and there's like corners and turns and everything's so overgrown. Like there is no way you can do that without a guide, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might be going slow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. And our shuttle was a taxi, so. <laughs> oh, for real? Yeah, it was every time we got down, we took our bikes apart, put it in the back of this. Like, what looked like it, like a, what are those? It's like a little cube looking car that they sell. Like a soul or something? Kia yeah, soul. something like that. Look, looked or like, like sort of like that, you know? Yeah. And it was like, they popped up the back, man. We stuffed three bikes in the back of it and they drive us up some rickety road, you know, and dodging potholes and drop us off and you know next to some goats or something like that and next thing you know we're jamming down people's backyards and through the jungle and it was it was crazy so it was really fun that's Definitely awesome nice. that was recently yeah that was this summer <clears throat> so i'll probably get to editing it sometime in the next six months no i'm just kidding if you want to swing by my patreon you can see the patreon cut right now so <laughs> Is it really up there? But, yeah, yeah, I swear to God. I'll send oh, it to you after. Awesome. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shoot it over there to you. It's definitely, um, I don't know, like, I, I, the experience in my head was an epic experience, but not for, like, the riding. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, this was just the craziest tech and the sickest trails. It was like, no, this is just really rad being in this different country out in the middle of nowhere and using this taxi cab to get up the hill and going through and seeing like the neighborhoods and, and stuff like that. in in that perspective, that is so different than um, maybe what you would experience if you were just going to Jamaica to sit at the resort. And to me, that was epic. But um, so for, so I, I feel like I, I'm really concerned on how I do the edit to not like set people up thinking that it's like just going to be this crazy sick adventure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's true though. Like back in the day when we used to film for all those new world disorder films and stuff, those are some of the best trips I've ever had in my life. We would go to Copenhagen or Barcelona, uh, Paris, like all these different cities. And we would just ride around on our bike all day. Every, you know, every back alleys just, looking for every single like diamond in the rough that we could find um, covering so much ground that you would never cover on foot covering places that you would never go as a tourist, just really seeing like behind the scenes of all these great cities. And it was similar to, like you said, in Jamaica, just going to all these places you would normally never go. Um, Cause you're just covering ground by bike and just spending the whole entire day out there. Yeah. Just riding everywhere, every back alley, every main street, every monument, every yeah. museum, just trying to find cool stuff to ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an experience. I had a good time. I really, really did have a good time. So it, it, the one thing that I can say that has been the 
like the biggest plus of having a YouTube channel or this YouTube channel is uh, it, it really inspired me to travel and ride. And like in, in times whenever it'd be like in the past, if I went to Hawaii, I would go to Hawaii to like sit on the beach and drink like cocktails. And that would be that. And now it's like, oh, I'm going to Hawaii or, oh, I'm going to, you know, back home for a funeral. It's like, I'm bringing my bike and I'm going to ride too. And you just see the world in a different, different way. That's, um, it's, it's just, it's really cool. It's a really cool experience. Is that weird when you show up to the funeral with mud on your face and stuff? <laughs> or you, or you didn't like, it wasn't sweaty, that close. Sweaty shorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was definitely weird whenever I like freaking tried to impale myself with my handlebar and I was like standing there like, Oh my God, it still hurts. <laughs> I didn't think Robert, Robert would be so broken up. <laughs> well, he's crying. He has a tear in his eye. Yeah. 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 Little just, did they know. Because you, you, you impaled yourself hours <laughs> earlier with your handlebar. Yeah, it, was, it was all internal bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, I had a great time chatting with you guys. Really, really did. And um, it was it was good to meet you, Max and Lance, as well. Hopefully, we can bump into each other, maybe at Sedona this year or something like that. Definitely. Those of you guys that have been listening, thanks. We we, we all appreciate it. Swing by trailboss.bike and check out what he has going on over there. You can also check out the Instagram, Trail Boss Academy, as well as, I know, um, I'm assuming Jeff's is Trail Boss. Or is yours Jeff? Mine is my name. But yeah. if you want to find these guys, I post like repost all the time on Trail Boss Academy Instagram. So that'd be the easiest way to just like go there, see a sick video of Max, click through or Lance or whatever. Um, rather than trying to remember everybody's names or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So swing by there and you can check it out. I appreciate everybody that that is been been hanging out the whole time. Like I said earlier, give it a thumbs up if you enjoyed it. Subscribe if you want to see some more. If you could write me a review over there at the uh, Apple Podcast Review Center, whatever you want to call that, that spot, it would be great. I really appreciate anybody that takes the time. It, it's um, it's fun always to, to read those. And um, when the new ones pop up, I, it always brings a smile on my face. So you could be the guy like making me happy. So anyways, with all that being said, remember one thing. It only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one. <laughs> all right. Take it easy. <laughs>